This podcast is sponsored in part by Benjamin Hart. That's me! And yours truly, Zach Arnold. And by participation from listeners like you. So let's tune in to another episode of IPC. 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 The Intergalactic Peace Coalition Podcast. All the galaxies. All for you. Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast. And we're not broadcasting live this time around, and for a very particular and very special couple of reasons. One of them being Ben and I could not quite get our movie schedules and our recording schedules put together the way that we had originally hoped for for this month of August. But we also did not want the month to pass without talking about a couple of pretty big blockbuster flicks. For those of you who have been keeping up with movies or pop culture over the last oh, four to six weeks, you know about the Barbenheimer craze. There's been fan photos. There have been a lot of comparisons and even contrasts between the two. And tonight... That is going to be the topic of conversation. However, as I mentioned, Ben could not make it. And we all know from past experience about eight years ago that having me do a solo podcast is also not a very good idea. But what I realized is that there was somebody else who saw both movies with me and for the first time in quite a long time, rather than just submit an Edna's icebreaker discussion, we have the icebreaker herself, my wife, Edna, here to talk about Barbie and Oppenheimer. We both saw them um, on both of them on opening weekend, and now we get to talk about them. We've talked about them in the car. What's so different about talking about it on a microphone? Well, the fact that there's this is going to reach to a million people. <laughs> oh, yeah, right. IPC reaching a million people. The closest we've gotten to that was when we had about 30,000 views back in 2018. And I don't think we really gained a whole lot of followers after that, maybe a few. So it's a very niche audience, but hopefully a kind one. And uh, an understanding one that sometimes things uh, go beyond our control and we make the most with what we've got. But, I mean, considering how much fun we had that opening weekend going to see those movies, this should be a pretty easy thing to talk about. Mm, I think so. I mean, um, there's been a lot of talk about these movies even before the summer season. Um Sorry, I'm nervous. <laughs> Why are you nervous? We're not even live. I know, but... I told you, there's no live, no pressure. All we're doing is talking about stuff that we've already talked about before. We're just recording it. I know, I just... Um, that's just the introvert in me. That's. I'll try to... <laughs> well, let's 
just talk about the movie-going experience at first. We're going to cut the crap that we usually have during these episodes. This one's going to be very content-driven. We're not going to be doing the icebreakers. We're not going to be doing what have you been watching. Hell, we may not even do much of a barbecue watch segment. We may just stick to the nitty-gritty, the essentials, which is Barbie and then Oppenheimer. We're doing it in the order of the you know, play on words. We're going to talk about Barbie first, and then we'll talk about Oppenheimer. But let's just talk about the movie-going experience first. Because we live in a big metro area where there's probably, I want to say, 10 or 15 movie theaters within a 45-minute radius of us. And even then, it still wasn't very easy to find tickets for these movies on opening weekend. No, we looked at different show times. Um, I think we we're trying to go that Friday after the movie premiere the night before, right? Yeah, they do Thursday evening soft releases, but the yeah. official opening night is usually on Friday. And we looked at, I want to say, what, four or five different theaters, and the only spaces they had available was in the front two rows, mm. and we never sit there. Yeah. Um, I know I had a lot of friends on social media just posting their outfits and just getting ready for the movie that that Thursday. <laughs> so I figured it was just going to be a busy weekend overall. We were going to have trouble. Luckily, we've got AMC A-List, and so that helped us uh, try to track down stuff using the AMC app and uh, didn't really cost us a whole lot because we had the subscription. For most other people, those opening night tickets to Barbie were probably like $17 or something like that. And with us paying, uh, you know, 20 a month or so, uh, we were able to get into both of them uh, for way less. I think between... Between those two movies, they cost us like they would have cost thirty six to forty bucks to see both on that opening weekend, and we didn't have to pay nearly that much, which was which was really cool. Um, but the the Friday night that we went to go see Barbie, it was pretty close to a full house, wasn't it? Yes, it was. It was pretty packed. I, I'm pretty sure everybody that was there that night. Um, was either like you could just tell because they were wearing pink <laughs> and I'll, even like some of the guys like maybe some of the boyfriends that were <laughs> forced to go in to see this movie or i mean i i asked you to wear find <laughs> a shade of pink <laughs> yeah the the closest i had was red <laughs> like yeah. like a like a like a soft red um the the pink shirts that i had were like graphic tees from beat cancer basketball games and stuff and i just didn't think that was really the vibe we were going for but you're right everybody kind of dressed up for it and honestly the last time i remember seeing anybody dress up for something it was like maybe for an avengers movie or something like it's not a very common practice uh, unless you're dressing up as a stormtrooper for Star Wars or Iron Man for Avengers. Yeah, I guess I gotta say it was pretty cool um, to see people dressing up for a movie that wasn't sci-fi or... I mean, I guess, I don't know what it, what you would consider Barbie, but I'm what I mean is like, it was cool. It was geared more for like the girly group <laughs> of movie 
goers and I I think I heard a TikTok user call it Black Panther for white chicks. Yeah. <laughs> and I didn't know how to take that. <laughs> but it it was it was it was very interesting people watching to be able to to see where people were going because when we went to go see um Oppenheimer the next day at a different theater there were people that were in suits and trench coats and stuff taking pictures in front of the Oppenheimer posters but there was maybe like one of those people for every 10 people dressed in pink like the Barbie craze was definitely a lot stronger uh, as far as dressing up in costumes was concerned yeah I so the night before well that Thursday um what do you call it soft soft opening soft opening my brother and my sister-in-law went to go see it and you know they didn't super dress up but they were both wearing pink and they ended up inviting my mom super last minute and they make sure to bring an extra pink shirt for her to wear (laughs) just you know it was that's how big the movement was you know or not the movement i shouldn't call it that but you know the the trend well, it, it's interesting that it's kind of almost like a family thing, oh, yeah. <laughs> but I wouldn't necessarily classify Barbie as a family film, would you? That's a tough one. I, I, I wouldn't either, but I've definitely, from the few people that I've talked to at work or uh, even just on TikTok, like they take their kids to go see it and um yeah someone from work took their her daughter who's probably like 11 or 12 and you know she she loved it she didn't maybe i don't know maybe she's just more laid back and because i know they mentioned like (laughs) they they use the word vagina in the movie and then the movie ends with her checking into a doctor's appointment saying that she's there to see her gynecologist yeah so there's definitely some adult themes and some adult messages, but I can also see how the the whimsy and the bright colors and even the dance numbers and stuff could make it feel family-oriented. But um, without going too deep into spoilers, I, I would say that this movie is probably rated PG-13 for a good reason. Yeah, sorry, I got distracted by the sound of rain. There's actually raining here in Texas? What on earth is going on? Ben leaves the podcast for one episode, and Texas ends its drought. We've been getting triple digits with bright sunny days since summer started. And I I honestly can't remember the last time we had rain. Yeah, it's it's been a while months at I least think since since may i don't know i may be exaggerating i don't think you are if if we did get anything since may it's it's been very light so we will we will take whatever we can get and maybe we actually have to go mow the yard in a few days or something cuz yeah, <laughs> the grass is actually getting wet um but since we're on the topic of barbie why don't we spend the next couple of minutes doing some spoiler free thoughts for people who maybe haven't seen it or just don't want to be spoiled for it just yet, um, what would what would your spoiler-free thoughts be on Barbie? Wow, that's a 
I truly did enjoy this film. Um, I think um, it lived up to the hype. Like, I don't know. I just, I, I enjoyed it. And, you know, me growing up playing with Barbies, it was kind of cool to see a film about you know my favorite toy but overall like no it it wasn't just like about barbie but i mean it obviously touched on deeper issues which you know i guess you got to just be ready to i would say to go with an open mind and especially just because this movie was made for a specific audience you know i guess women but um you know even on tiktok like i see that it's kind of cool whenever you know you your significant other like your male <laughs> significant other goes and supports the movie even if it's not something that's directly targeted for the audience like just i don't know i don't know if i'm making any sense to me <laughs> these are your thoughts so there, there's no right or wrong answer yeah, I guess I guess I, I'm just trying to get to like, you know, appreciate the movie for what it is, and you know, even if it doesn't speak to you directly, like it's still a pretty well made film. It's, it, ha- it definitely has this funny moments, uh, serious ones, but it's got a good cast. Um, uh, love the outfits, love the visuals. Um, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I, I think I would echo a lot of those sentiments is that I didn't necessarily feel like the movie was targeted towards me personally, but I don't think it was supposed to be. I I don't think that every movie has to appeal to every person. And I think that may be what that TikTok user meant by it being a Black Panther for women. You know, Black Panther reached a lot of the African-American community in a way that other superhero movies didn't. Mm-hmm. And Barbie is reaching and empowering women in ways that a lot of other movies recently have not been able to. And so I, I do see the impact that this film has made on the culture and for uh, encouraging and empowering women who may feel powerless um, in in certain aspects of their lives, um, but I I also I also think that the movie is just well made. Like you said, yeah. the 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 costumes, like you said, are really good. You you feel like you're actually in Barbie Land with some of the sets. Um, some of the some of the sets that they shoot their scenes in resemble a a lifelike version of actual Barbie playhouses. And so to take that kind of imagination and turn it into something that you feel immersed in the world is uh, pretty impressive considering the whole film had a budget of about $145 million. Like the entire movie, the the sets, the costumes, the CGI, paying the actors, paying the editors, paying the directors, everything about this movie was 145 million. 
not including marketing. But um, at the time of this recording, it's already gone over a billion dollars worldwide, wow. which is just amazing to think about. And this this isn't necessarily a, a, a quote-unquote spoiler. You can look up those numbers online. But I, I think that to create a well-made piece of cinema with a great cast on that type of budget and to see the impact that it's had um, reflected in the box office numbers shows that this movie is different. It stands out. It stands apart. And I, I haven't been able to look at what all of the numbers are for the entire year, but I am pretty sure Barbie is going to be the biggest financial success of 2023, which I think says a lot. Yeah. I mean, I agree. And I was just now thinking like, it's going to be really hard to, um, you know, it, it, I feel like it's going to be a while before we see a movie of that genre and of that, um, I don't know. I think it's, it's going to be a while until <laughs> another movie like it. Well, what's funny is I read that Mattel, who's the creator of Barbie, is working on creating other movies based on their toy lines. Like, they're going to make a Hot Wheels movie and mm-hmm. and things like that. So we're kind of going out of the Marvel Cinematic Universe and we're going to take Mattel toys. I think they said it's like... 43 movies or something like that that they're working on making which i think is entirely too much but we're going to phase out of the mcu for marvel and go into the mattel cinematic universe have a different type of mcu moving forward i think the i think the problem is mattel seems to think that it's the mattel brand that's making them the money Mm. i don't think they realize just yet that it's the barbie brand and the barbie message that's been making that money. They just happen to be the ownership group over that brand. But I don't think Hot Wheels is going to do as well as Barbie. I mean, Hot Wheels is going to be what? Basically Fast and the Furious? Like, we've already got 10, 11 of those movies. We don't need more. But I do think that we need more um, bright colors in our lives, and that's something that Barbie definitely delivered. I think we need more empowering messages in our lives. That's something else that Barbie delivered. And um, like you said, it's it's a fantastic cast, and that'll be one of the things we touch on uh, in depth. But I I enjoyed this movie a lot more than I thought I was going to, and I think that's the case for a lot of people. Yeah, I I think that I don't know when I first whenever I saw the trailer for it or when I first heard about it, I didn't know what to expect. And honestly, maybe I had low hopes. Oh, but I also didn't know much about it. I just felt like Barbie, like, I don't know, like that's pretty targeted to only one half of the population, you know, or at least that's the half that's going to be might try to watch it but i honestly didn't expect this much hype for it and the marketing they did for it and yeah it'll be interesting to see what other movies mattel's gonna try to come out but honestly like 
I don't know. I feel like it's going to be hard to top that one. <laughs> well, a big contributing factor to that, I personally feel like, is the cast of this movie. Yeah. I I don't think this this movie succeeds if you don't have somebody like Margot Robbie playing the lead role. And I, I, I say that not as a diss to any of the other beautiful actresses in Hollywood, but you, you caught Margot Robbie at exactly the right time to play this role. Like, all of the things fell into place at exactly the right time in history. The only other person, we talked about this in a car ride one time, the only other person I could ever see playing the role of Barbie in real life would be somebody like Marilyn Monroe. Mm-hmm. Like th- those, those people are just so few and far between, excuse me, that to, to have somebody like her, who is not just, you know, a, a beautiful person, but also a fantastic actor to, to get that into a movie about a character like Barbie. It's just, it's, it's the perfect storm that led to, uh, a near perfect film. Yeah, who was the other person they were considering for that role? Was it Amy Adams? No, no, she was um, she's a comedian. Amy Schum- Schumer. Schumer was being considered for. I I don't know if it was a rumor or I just saw like a post about it, but I think they did, and I guess that didn't work out. I don't know. Someone's going to come at me and correct me on that, but... (laughs) They might. I I feel like that was probably a joke. I can't imagine anybody but Margot Robbie being in the role. But then just consider some of the other um, people that were surrounding her. And here's the funny thing. When you go to imdb.com, all of these are just listed as Barbie. All of these characters... Are, are listed as Barbie. There's not like President Barbie, Dr. Barbie, which are what all of these different characters are. But, I mean, you've got Issa Rae in this movie in a pretty big role. Dua Lipa makes an appearance in this role. Uh, in, in this film, um, Emma Mackey, Kate McKinnon. Um, there, there's just, there's so many big names that I recognize and then there's some other names that I don't recognize that they were able to put into this film um and then on the flip side like just the cast in general not just the the Barbie cast members but I mean Ryan Gosling as Ken I think a lot of people may have questioned that off the bat but I really feel like everybody ended up delivering the role better than maybe most expected um yeah, I mean, Ryan Gosling, like, isn't he known to do, like, a lot of musicals or at least a few, like, La La Land? And... He did, yeah. Um, um, I knew him from Blade Runner, but that's not, <laughs> that's not, a, that's not a musical. <laughs> we, we get, we get our Gosling conception from, from different places, definitely. Uh, I haven't seen that movie, La La Land, but I just know that he, I feel like he was, I, I can't think of anybody else that would have played that role better than he did. Or maybe, I don't know. <laughs> he he did a great job. Well, what's funny is you, you've got Gosling as the main Ken, but then you've got um, Simu Liu from 
Shang-Chi from Marvel movies. Uh, Kingsley Benadir is an up-and-coming actor who was the lead villain in Marvel's uh, Secret Invasion. And then Kushigatwa is going to be the new Doctor on Doctor Who. And I may have butchered the pronunciation because I haven't heard anybody um, actually say his name in an interview yet. But these are like four really big actors that are playing opposite a lot of really big actresses. And then you throw in somebody like Will Ferrell as the uh, CEO of Mattel. And it's just an all-star lineup that really helps bring bring the story to all of its fullest potential. Yeah, I think that that was one of my selling points. I'm just, I'm a big Will Ferrell fan. So whenever I saw that as part of the trailer, like I was like, ooh, maybe I do want to see this movie. Like Margot Robbie, she's a great actress, but it was Will Ferrell who sold it to me. <laughs> well, you are a big Step Brothers fan. So. I love Step Brothers. Yes. I mean, I, I keep scrolling down the list and we see people like Michael Sarah as Alan, America Ferreira as Gloria, Rhea Perlman. I know you didn't really know Rhea Perlman from very much, but I knew her from Cheers and then she had a voice acting role in um in a Star Wars show that I've been watching and she plays the the creator of Barbie as it were. And so again, all-star all-star cast um but let, let's talk about the plot for a few minutes and and the story that it tries to deliver throughout that plot barbie essentially lives in a barbie run world the the kens are essentially supporting cast members that hang out and enhance the barbies's life and it's it's a very female-centric, female-oriented part of the world. Something starts happening to the stereotypical Barbie that sends her on a quest to the real world where everything is basically reversed. All of the stuff that she comes to know in Barbie land is almost the opposite in the real world. And she ends up struggling to figure out exactly who she is and what she's capable of, which... I think is a journey that a lot of people, particularly women, go on. Is that a fair thing to think? Yeah, I I think that it's that's fair. I mean, of course, women have a lot to handle, different roles to play in society. But I think it's also fair to say that this this can be something that anybody can experience. We know we live in a very, you know, it's difficult world. I I was trying to find a better word for that. But, you know, and as an individual, you have to compete with, you know, trying to be a good person, a good mom or a good dad. And, you know, there's always, and I don't know if this gives out the plot too much. We're doing spoilers now. Okay. There's a part where Gloria who is played by America Ferreira, she kind of just, she gives out this really nice speech that, you know, it it describes how hard it is to be a woman. You know, like, uh, I obviously haven't memorized a speech, but it's like, it's it's just like, there's never a right answer for anything that you do. And that was a very touching speech. And sure, there's not a person, (laughs) a woman specifically, that can't agree with that. Uh, I I went and looked up 
some of the some of the words from the monologue because there were people who had it memorized and there were people who went and typed it out and uh, she basically just talks about how you you have to be thin but you can't be too thin um you you have to want to be healthy um but you also have to want to be thin you uh, have to have money but you can't ask for money um you have to be a boss but you can't be mean you have to lead but you can't squash other people's ideas it's just about how um oxymoronic it is to um have these expectations on anybody but especially on women that um you know society tells you to be this way but then there's also another part of the culture that tells you oh you can't be that way because xyz and most of the time that xyz is because you're a woman um but I do feel like some of these standards apply to guys as well, as far as, um, you know, you need to hustle to have money, but you can't really ask for money, that sort of thing. There are some things that are somewhat relatable uh, across the board, which is part of what makes that monologue so impactful. But there was quite a journey leading up to that monologue, too, as far as um, Gloria's daughter, Sasha, kind of tearing down what Barbie has represented for other generations and how there are some groups of people who feel like she is um, the opposite of empowering women because she kind of set women back as far as feminism goes for several years, even several decades, um, because of the unhealthy and unrealistic expectations that she placed on all of them. So it's it's interesting that they even decided to examine both sides of that you know what does it mean to be a woman but what does it mean for barbie to try to represent women when maybe she ended up having the opposite effect at some point yeah i mean just overall it's just it's impossible to please people um i don't know this movie was just a really good reminder that people are always gonna find something to complain so just be yourself do yourself and that's kind of what part of Barbie's journey, you know, finding who she really is. And it, and I like that it wasn't just all about Barbie. Like at the end, like Ken also has to look for that, discover who he is. You know, he's not just this background character in Barbie's world. Like he, it gets to the point where he has to figure out who he's going to be. Like, you know, Ken is always known to be Barbie's boyfriend or partner or whatever that's all he knows which i mean if you reverse the roles you know in the in today's world you know for a long time women were just known to be mothers and wives and that's all you could think (laughs) of being like you couldn't pursue careers you couldn't pursue um to be your own individual person you know i I mean at one point women were property (laughs) i don't know i don't i don't want to tackle so much on the feminist side of that but i i I just like that movie for addressing those issues and yeah i think the thing that i find fascinating about it is that it's able to have so much wrapped up in its message while also still finding a way to just be fun you know when when she makes it up to the the ceo's office in the real world and she meets will ferrell and all the other dudes and stuff she ends up trying to escape and there's like a cartoonish chase scene around all of the cubicles 
where you know the men are chasing after her and she's kind of diving back and forth in and out of the different cubicles making her way to the hallway to the elevators etc um they find a way to put her on like that um two-seater bicycle with ken and the rocket ship and the boat all of those pieces of the set that you have to use to transition from one part of the world to the other Greta Gerwig finds a way to balance something whimsical with something impactful, something that has a message, while also still making it feel very, very fun and at its core somewhat childlike. I know I said earlier that I don't find this to be like a children's movie, but you can definitely see in the way that she directs it and the way that the movie is edited that there is a little bit of childlikeness and nostalgia built up in how this movie is made. And I think that's part of what makes it such a fun journey. And honestly, I think that's what makes this movie so good that it was able to provide those, like strike a good balance of seriousness and, you know, it's fun funny moments and i think that's not always an easy thing to do so i have a pretty decent balance between people who are leaning more democrat and people who are leaning more republican on my social pages and i i find it very interesting slash funny even to a certain extent that there are certain groups of people that are calling for this movie to be straight up boycotted because they overuse words like patriarchy and it emasculates men and you know it it's not healthy it's not conducive to you know proper relationships and and certain things like that and then there are other conversations that say this movie should win the oscar for best picture because how of all of the things that it's able to do i i will go back around to one of my original statements that we made when we were doing the spoiler free stuff this movie is not made for everybody and it's not going to be well received by everybody but most cinema is like that I don't think there's ever been a movie that literally everybody in the world ever truly enjoyed. So I I think if you are on the fence, I would say just go ahead and watch it to see for yourself. See where you land. Um, Because at the best, you're able to find really redeeming things about this film. And at worst... You got to see a well-made piece of cinema and only lost maybe an hour and a half, two hours of your life. But I just, I think it's interesting how <sighs> duplicitous this movie is. I don't even know if that's the right word. But there's 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 two sides of this coin, and it's, at both sides believe that they are correct in their assessment. Yeah, I've seen a little bit of that on, on my end too. But, you know, I, I just... I wish people would put away their, I guess, their personal beliefs, convic- convictions or whatever. And just, like you said, appreciate the movie for what it is. 
like maybe like maybe not necessarily agree with it but look at the the visuals the creative side of it like appreciate some of those other details because it is a good movie but of course people always have to bring in politics into this and that's what (laughs) kind of kills it but that's that's my two cents on that (laughs) well at the risk of i don't know not starting an argument but there 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 are some people who who believe that um there there already is politics in cinema whether 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 it's a pretty clear message like what barbie delivers or if it's a a more subtle message that you might see in a pixar movie or something like i think there's pretty much always some sort of a message it's just about how yeah. how how deliberately it comes across and and i think what sets people off sometimes is how maybe a movie tries to beat you over the head with it rather than be subtle with it i think though that barbie's message needs to be that direct so that it speaks to people i think if you try to deliver a subtle feminist message in a movie like barbie it's not going to get received by the people who need to hear it just for the sake of not upsetting the people who don't need to hear it does that make does that make sense yeah yeah i I agree I think it it did what it needed to do or again and even if they did try to do it that way like a more subtle delivery people are always just you know no no one's ever going to be happy so I think it's I think this is a pretty safe place to to go into some final thoughts and what our score out of 10 is because we do still have Oppenheimer to talk about um my my final thoughts are this I appreciate that they gave Ken an opportunity to have some self-discovery in the sense that he he feels seen and heard and understood and accepted in the real world and tries to implement that into the Barbie world and overdoes it. And when when Barbie gives him that opportunity for self-reflection and self-discovery, he kind of does a little bit of self-love, and he's like, I am Kenuff. <laughs> Got choked up thinking about the word. It's it's a really bad pun. But what I do wish, and maybe this is toxic masculinity, I don't know, but I I wish we had gotten just a little bit more of the conclusion of his story, because yes, he finds out that he is enough but there's not a whole lot of exploration of what that looks like or what that entails and I guess because he had played such a big part in the play out of the rest of the movie maybe we could conclude his story just a little bit more clearly because when Barbie kind of kicks him out of his out of out of her dream house that he had taken over when she kicks him out it almost feels like he's homeless or something and i guess i wanted to see a little bit more resolution for all of the characters and i'm not saying that because he's a dude if it had been flipped i probably would have wanted to see what would have happened to 
Barbie, you know, if, if she had been doing all of this instead of Ken, I would be saying the same thing about her. It's about character arcs. It's about resolution to the story. And I guess I just wanted a little bit more of the resolution to Ken's story. But that doesn't take away from all of the other amazing things that this movie was able to accomplish and its financial success at the box office. And the fact that it was a lot funnier and a lot more engaging than I expected it to be. I think over on the Flixbusters podcast, I did a spoiler-free review of this movie and gave it an 8 out of 10. I think I'm going to bump it up a little bit. I don't know if it's a full 9, but I think it's probably an 8.5 out of 10 for me. It's very, very enjoyable. It's very well-made. Great cast, great characters. I just wish that the story had wrapped up maybe a little more neatly at the end. I completely agree with you, and I don't think it's there's anything wrong with, with wanting to find out what happens to him. Like, give him... Because I do agree, they kind of wrap that up pretty fast, considering how big of a role he played, you know? So I, I, I think it's fair to, to share that, and maybe that's one of the things this movie didn't deliver as well as other as other parts of it and i don't know maybe like i don't know barbie too <laughs> like another movie <laughs> now i'm kidding they, i know they won't but no they i might. i this movie made a lot of money yeah i mean money talks yeah it didn't make a lot of money and you know i, I wouldn't be surprised but i think it was a really good movie for whatever reason i also was and this is something I share with you in the car. Like, I don't know. I was expecting to get like teary eyed, uh, like more than I did. Like, I, I I enjoy movies that bring out those emotions, and I didn't really get to do that. Not saying that that's a bad movie or that needs to happen, but maybe because my mom had seen it before me, and she like she just was fascinated and loved it, and she just raved about it. So maybe I walked in with this like expectation but i mean overall I, I think it was a good movie i don't know i I think it's fair to say that i i, I think at 8.5 I'm not, I'm not trying to copy you i just maybe if it had lived up to that expectation that i was walking in maybe i would have given it a nine 9.5 but again it was it was a good movie and i think that's a fair score no it definitely is and uh i i think it's one of those, for me, it was one of the surprises of the year. It, it surprised me and delivered a lot more than I was expecting it to. Um, I don't know if I'm going to go see it again in the theater, but I also don't know if I'm going to go see Oppenheimer again in the theater. I think it's a good theater experience, but I also think it's going to be one of those ones that's going to be very heavily streamed whenever it finally makes it to a streaming service. I don't know... I don't really know where it's going to end up. Was this a Warner Brothers movie? Who produced this film? Because that could kind of tell, um, distributed by Warner Brothers. So it'll probably end up on uh, Max, the former HBO app, because Warner Brothers Discovery are the people who own um, the HBO slash Max app. So... Who knows, whenever it finally finishes its run in the theater, 
I think it'll be very heavily streamed on Max as well. So the the rewatchability factor is high, but the return to the movie theater to watch it probably isn't as high. So um, with that being said, let's spend a little bit of time on Oppenheimer, the second part of the Barbenheimer craze, as it were. And what's really funny is I think if this movie had not decided to come out the same weekend as Barbie, it might have done even better than it's already done. And unfortunately, it's a giant pissing contest um, when it comes to theatrical releases. But worldwide, uh, Oppenheimer is approaching $600 million, which is 60% of what Barbie made. But it's still a very, very good showing for a movie that had a budget of, I want to say, $200 million? No, $100 million. So it had a budget of $100 million, and according to Christopher Nolan, used absolutely no CGI, which is something you just don't see in movies these days anymore. Everything's got CGI in it. But it's it's a film that had a, a very low budget considering the cast and what it accomplished and has turned into a very big showing at the box office. What um what were your expectations going into Oppenheimer and what were your initial thoughts? Hmm. This was a movie I wasn't I'm not gonna say super excited to see, but I, I just it was just I guess with the Barbie craze it just kind of fell it wasn't on my on my on top of my list really but once I saw the cast and and what the story was about and that it was coming out the same weekend as Barbie like I was like oh like we should definitely check it out and um I'm not gonna lie I might need to see this movie again (laughs) I do really bad following a movie without subtitles I have to have subtitles and this is one of those movies that had a lot of moving parts it was really hard for me to keep track of all that. But I enjoy the visuals. The fact that the bomb, it wasn't CGI'd, so that that's that's pretty cool. Um I think I, I liked um seeing like every time they would introduce like an actor like I was like, Hey, I've seen him from another movie or I've seen him from the show, like I was able to recognize a lot of them. It was I, I enjoyed it. I'm a pretty decent fan of history. Um, I'll admit the World Wars probably aren't my area of expertise. So anytime there's an opportunity to expand my knowledge in a piece of history that I'm not super familiar with, um, it's it's a cool opportunity for me. And then when you're able to take a stand-up cast like this one um it just enhances it a little bit if the if 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 you didn't have really great people in barbie then basically the other half of the spectrum was in oppenheimer it's it's crazy if you you know obviously margot robbie wasn't in oppenheimer but you know robert downey jr also wasn't in barbie etc 
But when you've got Killian Murphy, Emily Blunt, Matt Damon, Alden Ehrenreich, um, who else was in there? I saw um, Kenneth Branagh. I saw um, Jack Quaid was in it, I believe. And then you you put in some other um, background actors who have been in other things. I know Scott Grimes from um, from the Orville. And then you've got a a director like Christopher Nolan who's just got a wealth of expertise. Uh, you you put all of that together, and it turns into a film that is definitely a slow burn. But it's, in my opinion, a very well-made slow burn. It it takes a, a a rather abstract concept when it comes to the race to splitting the atom and then what to do with it. And the realization it can be made for a bomb and the realization that your enemies are thinking the same thing and you have to try to make the bomb before somebody else does. Um there there's a scene in the film where people are are struggling with the morality behind this decision and Killian Murphy's character J Robert Oppenheimer says something to the effect of I don't like this either but we can't let the Germans get their hands on this technology and it it makes you realize that sometimes you have to compromise certain morals in order to basically stop worse people from using this technology. And this is all set in the 30s and 40s. So you've got very limited equipment. You've got very limited capabilities. You don't have CGI and computers to help you run simulations. They're running these simulations on chalkboard and scratch paper in their heads in a secret town in the middle of nowhere. Just to to take all of those things and put them into a a three-hour-long film and keep you engaged and keep you compelled um, is, is a pretty daunting task, but in my opinion, he accomplished it. Yeah, I that was that was a lot for him to handle. I mean, I I mean, correct me if I'm wrong. Like they've never done an atomic bomb before. Like they were trying to figure it out. Like just the creation of that. That's it's just kind of mind blowing that this was something that was really new. And I don't know with movies like these. Like I I almost wonder like how accurate they're telling the story. Like I'm sure like there's some parts that they had to add some dramatic effect but i i don't know like do you, do you feel like it was accurately told so like i said world war 2 isn't exactly my area of expertise but i i have read some interviews that were taken with oppenheimer's grandson who got to talk to his grandfather and got to hear his story and was part of the of the team that was making sure that the story was staying true to life and staying accurate. And he said there was one scene at the beginning of the movie where it's implied that Oppenheimer poisons an apple that he gives to his professor in an attempt to kill him. And he says that never happened. And, and he actually got kind of offended that they put it in the movie. 
But other than that, um, the creation of Los Alamos and bringing the other scientists and their families over, the race against the clock, the the decision to uh, drop the bomb, even though Germany was very near defeat, um, they decided to switch gears and attack Japan instead. Um, all of those things were um, pieces of the puzzle that actually happened during World War II. And so there may be a couple of historical inaccuracies here and there. More and more people are finding them. There's a scene where after the bomb gets dropped, everybody is in like the basketball gym at Los Alamos and they're celebrating and waving American flags and stuff. But um, Hawaii and Alaska had not been annexed into the United States yet. And people were flying modern American flags that had all 50 states on the on the blue field. So there's like little historical inaccuracies that are along those lines. But from my understanding, for the most part, yeah, it's it's pretty true to what actually happened. Wow, I would have never thought about the flag <laughs> situation. And these are definitely like people that are noticing these small details. Like you know, it's 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 a it's a good movie, and there was a lot of craze about it, and had a really good cast. But you know, I didn't. I I was on <laughs> TikTok the other day, and I actually saw like a post from from this person this this woman who was just she was done like she didn't want to like she did not care about this movie just because she was the granddaughter of a woman like her grandma was a little she was a baby basically when this bomb practice i don't know what do you call it like practice bomb where (laughs) like it was dropped in that little town and you know this is the side of, of of history that doesn't get told a lot that there were people that were affected by this and you know unfortunately some of those people were born with they 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 develop health conditions and and from what she told again i i don't know how accurate this is all of this is but um a lot of people in that little town they they were not told that this was gonna happen it just kind of they just kind of dropped it without any notice and there was some consequences due to that. Like, yes, it's a big historic moment and maybe like a great advancement when, you know, when it comes to weapons of mass destruction. But, you know, unfortunately to this, there's always uh, consequences. And there's a lot of people that were not crazy about this movie. They experienced firsthand some of the, the results of this. this. This is a sidebar thing that I do during podcasting. When one person is talking, I try to look up something else for another discussion point. Um I hadn't really considered the the impact. You're talking about what happens in New Mexico, right? You're not yeah, you're not talking I, about in Japan when no, the bomb no, was dropped. No, no, this is the, like in the, New Mexico. The test that happened in New Mexico. Yeah. Okay, because um, I, I I knew that there wasn't going to be much warning, obviously, when you're dropping the bomb on your enemy. And um, what's what's interesting is. Um, there are people in Japan that are also kind of upset with this movie because of the glorification that people are doing, particularly with the Barbenheimer craze and how, you know, Barbie is sitting on Oppenheimer's shoulders in certain movie, in certain fan posters or whatever. And they're basically saying you're, you're glorifying genocide because that's what the bomb was. It killed 
soldiers and civilians alike by the thousands. And they're like, yeah, you're you're promoting genocide. So what they started doing was taking like like the the Barbie theme posters and photoshopping pictures from 9/11 into them as like a retaliation and saying this is basically what you're doing to us. And the US people just kind of embrace it and they're like, uh, yep, that's pretty much what we're doing because, <laughs> um, Americans probably make as many 9-11 jokes as anybody else. Like, as dark and morbid as that is, people make 9-11 memes and 9-11 jokes all the time. And I think, uh, you know, users in Japan were trying to, you know, send a message and, the uh, the American meme makers really did not give two craps and just kept making that stuff anyways. That's pretty crazy. I didn't know about that. But yes, what I was what I was talking about earlier, it was from the little town of Los Alamos. You know, again putting I guess politics aside or all that. Like it was generally a pretty well made movie and had a great cast. <laughs> I keep saying that, but both of these movies just did. <laughs> they did a good job with that. Well, I, I was looking at this particular article from IGN trying to find out what he did use, um, what Nolan did use for the atomic explosion, because um, that's basically what this whole movie leads up to. You know, all of the conversations, all of the moral dilemmas, all of the questions, the creation of Los Alamos, everything that they're doing is leading up to the actual creation and the successful use of the atomic bomb. But if he didn't use CGI to create the bomb, then what got used instead? And there were a lot of actual video from the test site. There was a lot of just images of what those types of explosions look like. He used computer models to simulate the blast radius, but he didn't use computers to actually create the explosion I think that's where the the difference is. And then, um, according to the article from IGN, it combined magnesium flares with gasoline and black powder explosions. So they took all of these different flammable, ignitable, combustible elements and found the right combination to make it look properly explosive for the film. I don't know how you come across that job, <laughs> but that's got to be one of the most fun pyrotechnic jobs you could possibly have is being one of the lead technicians on replicating an atomic bomb. That's just from a from a technical creative movie making standpoint, that's just a wild job to have. Can you imagine paying your bills by creating explosions all the time? Um can't imagine that, but it's and that's what I was thinking, like they have to have hired like a chemist or <laughs> I mean like someone that knew what they were doing because this you know, that's not something you wanna mess with without experience or <laughs> it's not like something that should be it, yeah, you you need the right people for this. <laughs> so let me ask you something else about the plot point of this film, because one of the things that we end up discovering is that um, the way this story is told 
pretty much everything has already transpired, and Oppenheimer is in a hearing of sorts. And it's an attempt by the government to get rid of his credibility. Because now that he has been credited as the father of the atomic bomb, he's very outspoken about the use of of uh, nuclear physics as a weapon. He's not very in favor of it, but the American government and the military very much is, because that's how they're going to uh, be seen as superior to their to their enemies so he's he's basically in a private hearing almost on trial um to lose his credibility within the community to lose his um security clearance within the government and there's a lot of back and forth between his hearing and the confirmation hearing for Robert Downey Jr.'s character, I believe his name was Strauss, and you're learning that he's basically the bad guy in all of this, and that's really hard to believe because we've seen Robert Downey Jr. as Iron Man for so many years. It's hard to see him as a bad guy, but we end up learning towards the last third of this movie that he has been putting things in motion to push Oppenheimer down while building himself up and gaining some political clout. And I know it's a lot of moving parts, but I found it fascinating that not only is nuclear warfare like affecting people overseas, but it's also affecting like political um political stance and and social clout within the American government too. Yeah, it was it was it was definitely a different role for Robert Downey Jr. like I I've always known him as <laughs> Iron Man and maybe that's just my lack of movie viewing if that's the only <laughs> place I know him from. I feel like there was another movie where he played a different kind of role but I can't remember but yeah, it's just it was it was kind of crazy to see that because when they first show him in the movie, he's, he seems like this nice guy <laughs> who truly wants to help Oppenheimer, like, get this. What is it that he gets hired for? Like, to put together this team, right? For this um, top mis- secret mission or, you know, as the story unfolds, you start seeing his true colors and (laughs) again this is this is why i need to see the movie again because there was a lot of moving pieces that i was not following (laughs) very well and it would be nice (laughs) just to watch it again well the film is three hours long it's a it's a very very long film and it's a bit of a slow burn so and, and i don't mean to say that to be ironic or to be joking um, there's a lot of character development. There's a lot of experiencing things. There's a lot of talk, a lot of conversations, a lot of writing a whole bunch of stuff on a chalkboard that unless you're a science major, you don't understand really what they're saying or what's going on. You just know that they're saying it with a sense of urgency because it needs to get done. It needs to happen. We have to beat Germany. We're in a race to create something that's bigger and badder and and more provocative than than what 
our enemies are building. And it's a race against the clock uh, to a certain extent. And so I, I think what's what's the most interesting is is seeing how ambitious and seeing how um outgoing oppenheimer's character is um at the beginning of the film when he's you know a professor when he is starting this project when he's learning all of these um different elements about splitting the atom and then you look at the end of the film and he's very quiet he's very reserved He's almost remorseful. He's almost like apologetic that he even created this monstrosity in the first place. He realizes the weight of what he built, of what he helped create, and understands that there's a lot of responsibility that comes with a job like what he took on. And so... um. I I do think that it's worth seeing again. I don't think I'm going to see it in theaters again. This is again much like Barbie. It's kind of a one and done in the theaters for me. I don't think I need to go back to the theater and see it all over again. But I do think it's one of those ones that I would want to watch um on a streaming service at home just so that I can probably catch up on some of the things that I might have missed the first time around and I I feel like that's kind of what you're saying too is like being able to pause it and talk about it and dissect it in the comforts of home, get up and go to the restroom and come back, grab a snack and come back. Um, it's, it's more of a, it's, it's more of a take your time with it type of movie rather than breeze through it like an action film. Yeah. I guess I didn't realize how long that movie was going to be like, you know, some of them get pretty close to three hours, a little over two, but I was like, Oh man, <laughs> they, they got a lot to share a lot, a lot to tell about this historic event. But yeah, I think I like the idea of like just watching it at home and being able to pause and dissect and see how, I don't know, like part of me kind of wants to like kind of see how, how accurate it is to like, Again, I'm not saying that that it's not accurate, but like, I don't know, maybe get a little more information on certain details and yeah. (laughs) Well, I I think since we need another viewing, we probably shouldn't try to go into too much more detail about the film. Um, But it was it was a very interesting contrast from what we got with Barbie the night before, kind of circling back to the whole Barbenheimer craze. Barbie was a very bright and vibrant and loud and direct type of film. Um, Lots of colors. The message was very clear. Um, I don't know if Oppenheimer was quite that way. There were some scenes that were actually in black and white. They were very monochrome. There were some pieces of the puzzle that were more subtle and some things that flew over our head and some things that kind of shifted under the table a little bit. Um, considering the hype, I, I think it's fair to say that these two movies probably could not be any more different than they are. Yeah, very different. And I think that's what was cool about these two movies coming out. Like they're both very different movies but yet they have pretty a pretty good plot with a great cast i don't know if people haven't seen it or you know just appreciate the movie for what it is and 
the things that the work that went into making these I what what was it with Oppenheimer like they used a different method of film I don't know if I'm making sense like the like they went the extra mile to they developed the first black and white film stock for IMAX uh, this is this is from the IMDb trivia page but the the film was shot in 70 millimeter IMAX film but IMAX film doesn't have a monochrome feature so rather than going back and editing the coloration of a color film and turning it into black and white using computer CGI Kodak actually went and custom created shut up Alexa Kodak actually went and developed the very first ever black and white film stock for 70 millimeter IMAX. So they basically went and created a whole new type of film to be able to shoot those black and white scenes on. If that's not extra mile, I don't even know what is. Um, And then one of my other favorite pieces of trivia that is also from the IMDb page Matt Damon was actually taking a break from acting. He promised his wife that he would take a break from acting. And he said he would only go back to acting on one condition, which is if he got a call from the director, Christopher Nolan. Mm -hmm. He would turn down any other offer. He would say, no, I'm taking a break for any other offer. But if Christopher Nolan came knocking, he was going to do it. And guess who called? Christopher Nolan. Asking him to come and play the role of uh, Leslie Groves, the general, and his quote-unquote break went on hold. (laughs) So I I think that also is a testament to the kind of director that Christopher Nolan is and what kind of stuff he's been able to make. I mean, he did the Dark Knight trilogy. He did Inception. um, Interstellar, I believe, was also his. So he's got just a a huge list of fantastic things that he's been able to make over the years. He did another war movie in uh, Dunkirk. Um, He also did Tenet, which kind of had mixed reviews recently. But um, the stuff that he makes is just pure cinema. And I think this continues that trend. But we are getting a little short on time. It is getting a little late, which is why we decided to just do the meat and potatoes, as it were, for these discussions. Um, My final thoughts on Oppenheimer would be that it is a slow burn that takes a lot of patience, but it is just as much cinema as Barbie is. As far as well-created, well-shot, well-acted, well-written, well-directed, cinematography, the... Uh, the payoff of the huge bomb at the testing site, you know, it has all of the elements that make a movie a movie, that make it a really good piece of cinema. And even though it's not bright and colorful and funny like Barbie is, it's still a really good movie. And granted, I've only seen it once. I would like to see it again. But based on how I felt about it when I watched it, and based on how I feel about it still, just from going off of recaps and remembering things and looking at pictures and reading trivia, I think I still would give this film around an 8 out of 10. That's that's probably where I'm sitting at. 
And I really wasn't going into this weekend or going into this discussion thinking that I would have Barbie rated higher. And yet, here we are. I'll probably just do this, not to copy you. <laughs> I'll probably just do like a 7.5. It's it's a good movie. Is this a movie that was on top of my list to see? No, it wasn't. But can't deny that it was. It's a great film and everybody should give it a chance, even if historic events or movies like these are not really your cup of tea I, I still recommend at least give it a shot because it was very well made again like i would have to watch it again to appreciate it a little more but yeah that's my rating 7.5 out of 10 as a whole i would say the barbenheimer craze was a success for us we made some really good memories doing a couple of movies back to back i can't remember the last time We've seen two movies on back-to-back days. Um, I watched the new Jurassic World movie with Mondo like four times in a row over the course of four days. But you and me going to see a movie, um, I wouldn't say that it's rare, but to see two movies back-to-back in two days in two different theaters is, is not something that we would really experience all that often most of the time because I don't think there's enough movies out there that you and I would both be interested in in trying that are coming out on the same weekend or within a week of each other or something. So um, I'm, I for one am glad that we gave both of these a shot because it led to some fun memories and some fun discussions, including the one that we're having tonight. Yeah, and I think what's important is uh, just have an open mind. Like, just because a movie isn't really something that you'd go for, like, it's always good to give them a try. And I honestly didn't even know, like, if you were going to want to come see Barbie with me. I was planning to go with my sister-in-law or you know, with someone, but I, I do appreciate you tagging along for that. And, and I was honored that you wanted me to tag along for <laughs> Oppenheimer. It just kind of like stuck with each other. <laughs> we go to see movies together and, and I, I, I truly do enjoy those moments. It's really fun having a movie buddy. And it's pretty fun having two movie buddies. We're all part of the same entourage order, you, me, and Mondo, but I honestly don't think the three of us have gone to see a movie anytime recently. It's hard to get the schedules to line up, but uh, we'll do it eventually. But in the meantime, it's it's always cool getting to sneak away from reality for a couple of hours and dive into somebody else's world. And I would say that both Greta Gerwig with Barbie and Christopher Nolan with Oppenheimer provided some really great escapism for us and provided some new insights and some new perspectives that maybe we weren't anticipating until it happened. So completely agree. And I know that this is way outside of your comfort zone, but I really appreciate you stepping in for Ben and uh, talking about these movies. He might provide a voicemail giving his thoughts on one or two of these things, but um, this is this is the entire month of August episode for our listeners, and uh, you were a big contributing factor to that. So 
thank you well thank you for asking me i know um <laughs> yeah this is this is something i would not do <laughs> i i did it because i i know this is uh a big part of you know it's a big project for you and and it's a movie that we both enjoyed and saw so i appreciate to all the listeners having to put up with my awkward silences and <laughs> maybe not very loud voice because i keep pushing the microphone away from me but um hopefully i was able to provide some decent insight <laughs> to this it it's an it's a new journey it's a new experience but that is my wife edna joining us for a discussion on barbenheimer and this is a very unique very different but still very special episode of the Intergalactic Peace Coalition podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in to the August edition. We'll see you all in September. But for now, I am Zach signing off and saying that we will see you all next time right here on IPC. But until then, good night, everyone. me dance.